We are about to discuss court hearings. Join us today on Fostering the Future. Welcome to the Fostering the Future podcast, a show about all things child welfare, dependency, adoption, and foster care. Here are your hosts, veterans in the world of child welfare, Jack and Kat. We believe that every human has incredible and equal value regardless of what side of the courtroom we sit on. We hope that everyone feels welcome and accepted here on Fostering the Future. Make sure you follow us on Facebook or Instagram as Fostering the Future Podcast, or check us out on our website at fosteringthefuturepodcast.org. This is Nicole, and I am here with Jack, and today we're going to talk about what types of court hearings you can expect during a dependency case. So I do want to say, you know, I think that these types of court hearings are probably called different things in different places. So obviously we're discussing what we know and what they're called in our area. I think one of the most confusing things for a new foster parent or for a biological parent is you kind of get thrown into this world and people are using all of this lingo that you totally don't understand. And And abbreviations. Yeah. And like the JR (laughs) and the ASA, all of the terms. And I always thought about it from my own point of view, where in the beginning, I was just like, I don't know what these words are, but I'm going to kind of just go with it until I figure it out. Because if it's really important for me to know what these different words are, hopefully someone will tell me. Uh, spoiler, no one ever told me. <laughs> but you just kind of figure it out. As I started to create relationships with some of my kids' biological parents, and I started to see things through their eyes, it was even more confusing. Because if you think about You're not even planning to go in this world. No one sits around saying, I'm going to get my kids removed soon. Or, you know, I'm going to bet I'm going to deal with DCF next year. So you are even more thrown off guard. Sometimes you're struggling with drug addictions and mental health issues, which make things even more confusing to deal with. And then all of a sudden, like you're told all of these things and you're expected to go to these places and know what these things are. I can't even imagine how complicated that's got to be for these parents. So overwhelming. So I had a little bit of a different intro into kind of the hearings as a guardian ad litem. They gave us this little cheat sheet in class. Oh, really? <laughs> and so, yes. So, because there's so many abbreviations and so there many are. things. So one of the papers that they gave us um, had kind of all of the hearings and like a flow chart of the process. And like two pages of abbreviations. So the whole thing kind of starts. Obviously, we know that reports are called in. They're investigated by child protective team. If a child is removed from a home, they are considered sheltered. And that triggers the court process. And that first hearing is a shelter hearing. 
I have never witnessed one of these, but it's my understanding that at the shelter hearing, CPI kind of says what happened, or maybe the petition has already been submitted with the events. A judge says, okay, we're sheltering, you know, they order the children sheltered and they tell the parents that the next hearing is going to be at arraignment. And I would imagine they appoint attorneys at that shelter hearing as well. I, I believe that that's what I've only been to a handful of shelter hearings. That's because, you know, as far as foster parents, we aren't invited to a shelter hearing because it has to happen within a certain time frame of the removal. And a lot of the times nobody even knows who the foster parent is at that point. And sometimes the child is in a temporary placement while they're trying to find a long term foster home for that child. But also it's just not one of the things that foster parents are invited to. I've even had situations where a child was placed with me and I knew there was a shelter hearing and I said, hey, feel free to give them my information if they want to call me or give me the information if you want me to call into the hearing. And I've been told before not to. Uh, I, I think CPI generally is who is involved at this point, at least in our area. And CPI has told me, oh, no, we don't invite foster parents to that. However, I've been at shelter hearings where I've been in a court waiting for one of my kids cases to be called in a shelter hearing happened. In, uh, in my presence. And um, I could just say that in my experience, they were very emotional. The parent is still kind of in shock about what has gone on and how it has come to this. Um, and also the, the one that I remember the most was just very traumatic because there was a parent who was blaming a child for the removal because she told somebody what had happened in the home. I mean, actually, I think I discussed that on our episode where we interviewed Judge Tepper because it did it did happen in her courtroom. And that's so horrifying. It was. And like she immediately defended the child and was like, don't you dare ever talk to a child like that in my courtroom. It was a very emotional situation because the child got very upset, obviously ran out of the courtroom. Um, A couple of people ran out to try and assist her in that moment. So, you know, that was one shelter hearing that I was there for. It's a place where the child has already been removed uh, just freshly because I think it has to happen within so many so many hours. At this point, the judge can also look at it and order the child to be reunified and put back with the parent. I have had that happen at least once for me. I had a child where the parent had an emergency situation where she had to be hospitalized, but the problem had been resolved. The boy was able to be placed back with her. At shelter hearing, it does. It is not common because usually they will not remove if they didn't have a, a pretty full basis for removal. I have seen situations where the child at that shelter hearing was able to be uh, placed back with the parent. So the next step after shelter is arraignment. And at arraignment, the parents are expected to show up. They have to accept what CPI and the state are saying occurred based on the things that occurred to cause shelter. They are given case plan tasks. So at arraignment, they can decide if they want to accept a case plan or they can say, no, I'm not accepting a case plan. I want to take this to trial. If a parent says they want to accept a case plan, but there's one task that they don't agree with, I've seen them negotiate on that particular task. And the judges are normally pretty reasonable. 
and they'll say, I want you to have this type of evaluation. But if that evaluation says you don't need a substance abuse evaluation, then you don't have to do that. But if it does, then you're going to have to. And generally, the parents will then agree to that kind of kind of middle ground or whatever they come to. So I I do want to bring up, at least this is the case in our area, the arraignment, you said they have to show up for it, but they don't just have to show up for it. In our area, there's still a lot of court hearings that can be done by Zoom. And even though we're back to in-person court hearings, a lot of the time there's only like one or two people in person and everybody else is Zooming in. Even though you can go to a lot of hearings via Zoom for the arraignment, you really have to be like it is a requirement that you show up in person or they will reschedule it and you will have to come like maybe a month later for your arraignment. It's important for parents to know that anytime that you don't show up and something has to happen later, it will end up taking longer to get your child reunified with you because every step of the process is something that has to happen in order to bring that child home. If you've got to wait a whole extra month for your arraignment, because you weren't able to make it in person, that could be four more weeks that you're adding on to the end before your child is reunified with you. So I think that's important to know that like that is definitely something that you have to show up for in person, regardless of your ability to zoom into the hearings. Once a case plan is accepted, that's really where they solidify visitation with the child, the kind of visitation that's generally discussed there. So it's important for them to show up be there and start the process of everything, including visitation, which is what most of them really want. But they don't have to accept the case plan either. If they can show up and also say, I'm not agreeing to this, and the judge generally orders a mediation and then also schedules a trial date. You know, at that mediation, essentially all that happens is all of the same parties get together without the judge and talk about the exact Exact same same things that they would talk about in the court hearing where the parent might say, I don't want to do this case plan task. Can I do this instead? So sometimes it's really just like a delay again in the process. If they don't come to an agreement at mediation, then you jump to a trial where the parent has to prove that whatever the removal reason was is not in fact true. You only have so much time to work these case plan tasks to get your kid home. And if you spend a good portion of it fighting to even start, then you're making things harder for yourself, for sure. You know, in our area, the law says you have 12 months. It's 12 months to permanency. That's the law. Nicole, can you tell me about what what a parent can expect to happen after arraignment? So right after arraignment, a disposition hearing can occur. That is a hearing where the case plan tasks are formally recorded. Um, I have seen our area and both circuits very much move away from disposition hearings. Um, If a case plan is accepted, essentially the judge will ask the state attorney and guardian ad litem program if appointed what case plan tasks they would like for the parent to complete and they'll put it all on the record orally and then a written case plan will be ordered to be filed within 10 days or whatever the date the judge says. There aren't as many disposition hearings as there used to be. It's rare that 
an attorney will say, no, we want to talk about the case plan tasks and come back for an additional hearing. What is the difference between going to mediation or going to disposition? So at disposition, you've already agreed to accept a case plan and you're just formally putting the tasks on the record. And a case plan, a written case plan, would have already been filed with the court. And that's what would be discussed at the disposition. If a disposition hearing happens separate from the arraignment, what happens after that? Generally, the next thing and the next time you're going to be in court is for a judicial review. And that happens at the six month mark from shelter. That hearing kind of ends up being three to four months after arraignment and disposition because it takes a little bit of time to get through sometimes arraignment and disposition. So you're then back in front of the court six months from shelter. That is where everybody has, and I say everybody, meaning the state attorney, guardian ad litem, and if there was an attorney ad litem on the case, They all file reports with the court. Foster parents have an opportunity to submit, at least in our area, caregiver input forms. And kind of everybody gets together. It's to talk about how the child or children are doing in their placements, uh, checking in if they have any needs that aren't being met, and to specifically go over the case plan tasks for the bio parents and kind of check in and see where they're at. At that point, the judge will decide how compliant they have been with their case plan. So in our area, they can be ordered substantially compliant, partially compliant, or not compliant. And that kind of sets the tone for the next part of the case, uh, because you kind of get a really good check-in as to where everybody is. And as foster parents, sometimes that's your only opportunity to communicate with the court about how the kid is doing or the children are doing. And maybe if you're struggling getting services put in place or you can't get referrals, the judge can typically help move that process along. But it's also a really good time for foster parents that may not be having a great relationship with bio parents to figure out what's going on and to kind of see how the parents are doing. And so that sometimes is your only opportunity to see how the parents are doing and if they're moving things forward and maybe how you can help them or support them if you don't already have, you know, an established rapport. And at that judicial review, the judge also sets either the next judicial review or a permanency review on the matter. And that's kind of the next hearing that generally happens. Now, between that six month mark between the the first judicial review and the next judicial review, and I should say the judicial reviews occur every six months no matter how long the case is open. You generally have these hearings that they call in the dependency world status reviews where literally anything can happen. They could be about anything. Anything can be talked about. So if a parent is maybe struggling with getting a service paid for, the judge may tell case management that they have 30 days to figure it out and then set another hearing because they want to make sure it's on their radar so they can continue to help the parent move forward with their case plan tasks. 
And it can also be about, you know, visitation. If there's issues with visitation, it really can be about anything. If there's not uh, a JR coming up real soon, they'll schedule a status review to go over any of the concerns or needs that any of the parties have in the midst of that. Because you can't like if you need travel orders or you need hospital approval, you can't wait six months for that. And we're not all right. dealing with ECC cases here with safe baby cases where we're there every so many weeks, you know, before pretty much every major hearing, there will be through case management, a staffing. And so sometimes you go to the hearing and you're like, it kind of feels like they, everybody already decided what's going to happen before I even got here. And if you're not going to those staffings, that's why, because usually they have this staffing usually happens about a week before a court hearing. And that is where you get everybody pretty much except for the judge, usually without the attorneys. And they all kind of get on the same page. All of these things that are asked for in court are usually decided to be asked for in court in that staffing with the case management agency, usually about a week or so before the court hearing. So I think it's important for foster parents and biological parents to know that if you're missing out on these staffings, you're missing out on basically the meeting that's deciding what everybody's going to do and say at the court hearing, because I've seen case managers go into a staffing planning to change a goal, planning to delay reunification and everything could change in a staffing based on the information that is provided. Why well, I just think it's really important for everybody to go to the staffings and understand the importance of them because what's going to be discussed in the hearing is usually based on what happens in the staffing. They're going to go into court and say, we've, you know, all parties agree, goal change, here's why. And if you haven't gone to that staffing, you have no idea what the meat and potatoes are or the reasons. Um, your voice wasn't heard and you weren't a part of that decision. So you're right, those staffings are really important. So there are also permanency reviews and those permanency reviews, I believe, happen yearly. So it's essentially the exact same thing as a JR, but it happens at the year mark. And I think the focus is a little bit more about where the case is going versus the meat and potatoes of parents' case plan tasks and child services. The main point of the permanency reviews are to discuss if the goal is changing and what the goal is. After the permanency review, which happens yearly, if not enough progress is being made, they might be changing that goal as you were talking about. But the other alternative is working towards reunification. So if we're working towards reunification and we don't see that we need to start the process of considering another goal at this point, what we're basically going to be doing is meeting every six months for that judicial review, for that permanency review until we can get that child reunified. Yes. And you're going to see a lot more status reviews when we're heading towards reunification. The judge is ordering staffings to occur because you're ramping up for transition plans and additional visits. And the court has to either give discretion or order that visits go from supervised in the community to unsupervised in the community to unsupervised, even potentially in the home, once, once a home study is complete. Yeah. And then you start this overnight process, generally with a one night overnight. And that might happen for one or two weeks. From there, it kind of depends on the case. 
the timeline of the way reunification occurs depends on case to case. But what I think is pretty consistent is your start, you'll start to have all these status reviews in between those JRs because the court's goal, once they've decided reunification and, you know, parents are case plan compliant and we've done all the things and now we're going to reunify the court doesn't want to get to that next six month JR or if it's a permanency review, they want to get this kid reunified as quickly as possible. They want to put all the supports in place as a guardian ad litem. I have personally recommended the family reunification team. I think we call it something in this circuit, essentially a team that is in the home with the family multiple times a week, providing additional support once the child gets home. And that'll oftentimes happen at these like status hearings. You'll see a lot more staffings happening and a lot more status hearings happening to get to reunification. And a lot of times there is not a court hearing for reunification because the judge will say at the last status review, okay, we are pretty much done. We have these two more visits to go in our plan. And then I'm giving you discretion to reunify and you need to be reunified on such and such date. And then that's kind of it. And once the child is reunified in the home with parent, parents, whoever it may be, generally, I think one month post reunification, there is some sort of like a status hearing just to check in with the parents to see how they're doing. At any point at any of these hearings, the children, if they are old enough, and and by old enough, I mean, like, if they can talk, uh, they are allowed to communicate with the court. So you might have a very verbose five-year-old who wants to say something to the judge, and they're absolutely allowed. Um, of course, the older they are, what they're saying, what they want is weighed much heavier. I did have a teen who was at every hearing, was very verbal, and basically went to every hearing, stood in front of the judge and said, I want to go home. I want to go home. He had tunnel vision to be reunified, to live with his mom, to live in his bedroom, to be able to go next door to his buddy's house and hang out that he had grown up with. He was basically able to convince the judge to reunify him long before anybody was planning to try and reunify him. <laughs> like we went to court one day, a couple months into the case, he just kept going to the judge during hearings in between hearings and saying, I need to go home. I want to go back to my bedroom. The mom's attorney wasn't asking for reunification. I don't even think we were doing a unsupervised yet. I think <laughs> the mom's attorney was going to ask for unsupervised. Nobody was planning to ask for it, but because he was such a big advocate and because of the nature of the reason that he was removed, right. one day the judge <laughs> said, hey, why don't you go home today? His mom drove him home, packed his stuff up, and he was gone. <laughs> that is not the norm. Definitely nobody should be manipulating kids to go argue at the judge for them. However, if that kid hadn't done what he did by going to court and advocating for himself to reunify, there's no way he would have reunified after a couple of months in care, especially because it was a subsequent removal. One of the other cool hearings that I was in, probably like a JR hearing, I was waiting for my case to be called. This other case was called and there were four children. Mom and dad were both on the call. All the siblings were split up into four different places. And the children were removed because of something one of the siblings did. The oldest brother appealed to the judge 
and said, I am in a group home. I am graduating high school in a few months. I can't go to my school. I can't see my friends. I can't use my phone. And my mom is a good mom. And I am stuck here because of something that happened that had nothing to do with me or my other siblings. And I don't get to see my siblings. And in that moment, the judge reunified three of the siblings with mom and dad for immediate reunification. And that one child that was the cause of whatever happened, I have no idea what the details are, was not allowed to go back to the home. But because that young man stood up for himself. So it was super cool to see. There's a status review one month post reunification with the court and the parents and the child if they want to be there. And then after that, the court kind of decides when they're going to see the family next. It might be in 30 days. It might be in three months. Um, And then they generally, I believe, bring the family back one more time because you're going to hit one of those JRs at some point within that six months. Uh, Case closes six months post reunification as long as everything has gone well. Um, It does not have to close at six months, but as long as everything is on track and everything is done, it should close six months post reunification. Supervision will terminate. So a lot of times at the last hearing, the judge will say on X date, this case is going to be ordered to be closed. And I am terminating supervision of the department of the guardian ad litem program and case is closed. Good luck. Happy life. I hope to never see you again. Kind of thing. Literally, they literally say, I hope to never see you again. (laughs) And that's kind of the end of it. So if the goal is changed, or a concurrent goal is added, which they love to do here in our area, that would set off kind of another set of hearings. If they're adding a concurrent goal of adoption or they're changing the goal completely to adoption, somebody is going to file TPR petition, so a termination of parental rights. Once that TPR petition is filed, they still have their rights until their rights are terminated. And sometimes there's a long period of time that they can kind of get it together before that happens. So a lot of parents, you know, get very upset when a goal changes or a concurrent goal is added, or the TPR petition is filed. And I understand that, but it does not prevent the goal from being changed back to reunification. And it does not prevent the filing party for, from withdrawing that petition. It just means that they're starting the next process. And sometimes that's what the parents need. I've heard about a lot of parents as soon as the TPR petition was filed, that's when they realized the reality of the situation and were able to complete their tasks and kind of make some changes so that they were able to reunify. And while it shouldn't necessarily be a tool for manipulation, like that is the reality. If you don't do these things, your parental rights could be terminated. You know how Mac talks about there were certain things that happened that she didn't get her act together until these things happened. And, and the reality hit her. Sometimes you just need a, maybe a better grasp on the how gravity. serious it is. Yeah. For parents, if the TPR petition has been filed, you still 
you don't have a lot of time. Like, I'm not saying you've got so much time, but doesn't mean your rights are terminated. And I've seen so many kids end up going home after um, a TPR process has already started. When we say TPR, we say we're saying termination of parental rights. Um, That's another one of those initials and not necessarily the initials everybody (laughs) wants to hear. But once that TPR process started, as you said, it's because someone files the TPR petition. And that is a lengthy document that basically outlines the basis for which the state attorney is arguing that this termination should happen. The statements in it have to be what they're going to argue in court. Is that correct? Yes. It has to outline the lack of compliance with the case plan tasks, lack of participation, say they were doing their tasks, but weren't participating well or didn't get good reports from various services or counselors that they were working in, they'll put that in there as well. Were they participating? Were they actually working the program? Were they actually actively working on either sobriety or mental health? Were they making active steps for behavioral change? When that petition is filed, additional court dates are set. It's a much longer process. A TPR advisory hearing is set. The parents are told that they must appear at that advisory or their rights could be terminated uh, by default if they do not show up. If they show up to the advisory, a mediation date is set and a trial date is set for the termination of parental rights. For that advisory, not showing up is basically consenting to have your parental rights terminated. I've, I've had that happen a time or two. And there is a process by which they could have that overturned. Statutorily, I believe they have 10 days to reach out to the court and petition the court to overturn that default. The reasons are very limited. I don't know what they are, but there are only a few reasons. I mean, I think this parent has to be like in a coma where they can't call someone to tell them there has been an emergency. I can't make it. If, if they do show up, then we go to mediation. At mediation, the parties get together and they talk about potentially the bio parents consenting to their rights being terminated and kind of what that looks like. Only a select group of people. It's basically the parties and the attorneys are the only ones allowed in these closed mediations. And the judge obviously is not there. I have attended one as a guardian ad litem and it's incredibly emotional and it's awful. There is that additional advisory where the judge again, very clearly states, you must show up to the trial. This is the trial date. If you do not show up, your rights will be terminated. And if they don't show up to that additional advisory, they're also going to be terminated just like the first one. After the TPR advisory, there is a pretrial set. Basically, all that happens in that hearing is they have decided that the discovery period has closed or they say, you know, we can submit documents and evidence for the next, you know, 30 days or whatever it is. They again firm up when the trial date is. It's more of the lawyers working out the logistics of how they expect the TPR trial to go, how many witnesses there are, are the witness lists filed. Parents don't have to attend. Foster parents don't have to attend those hearings. I always attend them because I like the legal mumbo jumbo, uh, but they're not really necessary generally for a foster parent or even a bio parent. It's really more that legal aspect of things. It's like planning, right? Like they're talking about who's going to be witnesses and what 
the most yeah, it's, yes. everything's going to be. It's really just about planning and logistics. You know, you get to the trial, there is evidence presented on both parts, witnesses. Uh, they talk about the case plan compliance, behavioral change, uh, various things that have happened. Foster parents generally testify. The judge then decides whether the rights are terminated or not. If the rights are not terminated, that doesn't mean that the child is automatically reunified. And then if termination of parental rights is ordered, the parents still have the option to appeal. In our area, it's to the second district court of appeals. Those appeals are generally responded to pretty quickly. When you appeal, it's not about feelings, emotions, it's nothing. It is law, case law. After a TPR trial, if an appeal is filed, everything is kind of put on hold until we get that answer back from the appeal. If the appeal is affirmed or if no appeal is filed, then the next hearing is a manifest best interest hearing. And at that point, it's again, just the legal standards being met. Obviously, parental rights are terminated, so the parents are not at that hearing. Uh, foster parents are not necessary at that hearing. It's just the lawyers and the guardian ad litem kind of speaking to the child's manifest best interest with that legal standard. Now, sometimes the manifest best interest will occur at TPR if the TPR was entered by default. There may not be a separate hearing because they may have set aside a trial time. So they're going to do manifest best interest at the same time since everybody's already there. Sometimes the judge does not enter a decision at the TPR trial. I had one situation with one of my kids where we waited almost two months for the decision after the TPR trial happened. It was a period of time where everybody that I knew that had TPR trials for their kids around that time were being told to come back like a month or two later for... Um, That's what makes me think it was a court docket management. Mm type situation. Okay. Since it was all, it was happening across the board. I'm guessing it was a docket management situation, trying something new to see if it worked better and <laughs> got them through their cases quicker. Who knows to clear their dockets faster. One will never know <laughs> that one month post uh, TPR, there is a hearing that is really where the judge says, do we have an adoptive placement? Is the child in an adoptive placement? Has family been considered? Is there family to be considered? Um, and that's kind of what happens at that hearing. I personally was at one recently in our circuit. It was less than five minutes. It was, is the child in an adoptive placement? Yes. How is the child doing? Do you need anything? Do you have any questions? And we were done. So the only hearing that happens at this point when you're on an adoption track is a JR. As long as the case is open, a JR will occur. And then otherwise, it's just the adoption hearing. If a case goal has changed to a permanent guardianship, 
oftentimes when permanent guardianship is on the table, that has been decided in one of those staffings that we were talking about. Um, and then the court will just kind of affirm it. And then they'll order that permanent guardianship PG to occur as of whatever date. And then a written order will be filed. And then that's just the way it'll be. Sometimes there's some logistics that the court has to help out with, um, with permanent guardianship as far as uh, funding for the caregiver, whether it is a foster parent or a relative caregiver or a non-relative caregiver. Um, so sometimes funding has to be figured out when there's a PG situation that's different from everything else. And sometimes the judge will jump in and help make sure those things happen before a permanent guardianship is ordered to make sure the child has everything that they need for themselves. Whichever route we're taking, we're still going to have these JRs every six months until the case is closed. If we reunify, which is the goal, it's um, six months after reunification that it closes. If it's adoption, it doesn't close until that adoption hearing. Otherwise, you're having those judicial reviews, the JRs every six months. I think that's a pretty good summation of everything that happens. I really appreciate you bringing your hefty knowledge of the law <laughs> to the table here for Doris, Nicole. Um, that's yeah, pretty awesome. You know, and I just want to say, as we shared, this is how things work in Florida. Obviously, we are a special kind of something down here and it's not <laughs> like this everywhere. We would love to hear how it is in your neck of the woods. So jump on our Instagram or our Facebook page, hit some comments and just let us know how things are elsewhere in the great U.S. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social. We hope that you join us again next time and keep on fostering the future. we made it great again right <laughs> so great <laughs> sorry <laughs> i'm definitely gonna have to cut that oh uh, yeah <laughs>